Well, good morning, church. Oh, that felt good. Man, I, I, uh, I just want to encourage you in that last song. I think sometimes we forget what it means to be a Christian, and we forget about the great truths of our faith. We forget that we are a people who are saved by grace. We forget that we serve a king who died for us and that we really believe that this man, Jesus Christ, rose from the dead. We believe that he is at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and we believe that one day he's coming again for us. Let's not forget that good news of Jesus Christ. And so I don't know know how you are when you came to this place. I'm not sure if you came to church this morning encouraged and loving life and happy. If that's you, praise God. Like, come in this room and praise God for his goodness. But it very well might be that you came to church broken, wounded, spent, and done. And if that is you, the song that we just sang, that the truth that we sang, that is our hope. And so when you come into this place, you also can lift your voice up in praise and find healing for your brokenness because we know that one day our king is coming back to rule and have full dominion over this earth where there is no more war, no more deployments, where there's no more financial woes, where there's no more health concerns. That's our hope. That's what being a Christian is about. It's not about just coming to a building once a week. That's our hope. If, if you will, please turn in your Bibles to the book of First Peter chapter 4. In First Peter chapter 4, we are continuing on in our partnership series that Dave uh, has, has led us through up to this point. It's my pleasure to be able to continue it. And this week, we are talking about partners with one another. So up to this point, we've had membership in our church, but the membership in our church has been very loose. Uh, we didn't know who considered themselves a member. It, it was very difficult. So what we're going on is we're going through a process where we are saying, as a church, we need to know who our partners are, who our members are. I think one question that we really need to understand is when you join a church, when you say, this is a church I am partnering with, this is a church where I am going to have my membership, one of the basic questions that you have to ask is the question, who am I partnering with? I I know that sounds ridiculous and overly simplistic, but it's it's a key question. When When you say and you prayerfully consider becoming a partner here at any other church, and you read the Constitution, and you read our position papers on where we stand on issues, whenever you prayerfully consider, is this where I want to grow in Christ? You have to know to whom or to what you are partnering with. You are not partnering with an organization. You are not partnering with a non-profit entity. You are not partnering with a building. You're not even partnering solely with a group of pastors or elders. Whenever you join a congregation, whether it's this one or any other church, 
you are partnering with the other believers who also are present, who've also said, I am here, I am with you. You are partnering with one another. We see this in the Bible when, when, when Paul and Peter and, and the rest of the New Testament talks about the church as being the body of Christ, where each one of us who are a member of the body, who are a partner with the body, have different gifts, and we are coming together, and we are serving with one another, and we are loving one another. It's the body. We're partnering with one another, and this is a good and glorious thing. In our passage today, Peter lays out for us different things partners do for one another. It's not enough just to come, sing a few songs, listen to a sermon, and hit the road again. But he's saying, hey, these are the things when you come together and when you are in community and partners with other believers, there are certain duties and responsibilities and commands that God is calling you to do. This isn't a a country club where it's just a bunch of benefits and a lot of fun at, at the cost of a tithe. That's not it. God is saying, this is how I have organized my people. This is what I'm calling you to do. And he lists out four things in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you those right now up front so that when we read, you can see the four different things that Peter is calling partners to do for one another. Let's read God's word. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, it is my prayer this morning that as we read your word and we look into your word, that your Holy Spirit would use that truth to encourage us to follow you, to encourage us in obedience to you. Lord, to convict us, Lord, where we might have sin in our life uh, for, for the sake that we might become more like your son, Jesus Christ. Remove distractions for us that we might not miss what you have for us this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. He tells us in verse 7, we have these four different things that we're supposed to, to do for one another, four things that we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be a praying people. We're supposed to be a loving people. We're supposed to be a welcoming people. We're supposed to be a, 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 a serving people. But at the very beginning in verse 7, he kind of lays out, a motivating factor for us. Do you see that? In verse 7, he lays out a motivating factor. He says, the end of all things 
is at hand. Just like we were singing this morning, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be these type of people. Therefore, do these type of things with one another. It, it makes me think about uh, when, whenever you have guests to your house. Th- this was my childhood growing up, uh, and, and to some extent even now, my wife keeps a beautiful house, always. It's always looking good. But whenever we have like a big party, and we're, we're, it's like a Christmas party, or we're having people over for Thanksgiving, I don't know if you experience this, but, but like the level of, of cleaning that then has to then ensue increases because the time of the party is drawing near. We don't have that much time. You don't want to clean way in advance because then the kids are going to cause destruction. But as time draws near, it's a heightened awareness of like, the company's coming. The company's coming. We got a few more dirty dishes. Throw them in the dishwasher. He is saying, we have this motivating factor that has existed since the time Christ rose again, knowing that everything in history that needs to happen has happened for the end to come. Everything that has needed to happen for Christ's return has already happened. That's why Peter, that's why Paul, that's why all the disciples fully expected Jesus Christ to return in their lifetime. They were wrong. Jesus didn't return in their lifetime, but we need to have that same expectation that Christ could and might return at any moment. And when Christ returns, what, what do we want him to find? We want to find, he, we want Jesus to find his people living together in unity and oneness, doing what he has called us and commanded us to do. We don't want him to find his, his church, his bride in a mess. And these are the things that he is saying, since I am about to return, since I'm about to come again as king and have full dominion over the earth, these are the things you ought to be doing until that day. We ought to be praying. We ought to be loving. We ought to be welcoming. We ought to be serving. And not just in any way. Notice in each of these different ways, we, we have to have this, this God-empowered relationship where it's beyond our own strength and beyond our own ability. So let's, let's look at these different type of God-empowered relationships we need to have with one another. The first thing we see here in verse 7 is that we are to be a praying people. We are to be a people who pray by ourselves, and we ought to be a people who pray with one another. And if you're like me, man, praying is hard. Man, I, I, I can read. I like reading. I like reading the Bible, which, which is good, right? We, we like those things, but, but for me, just that, 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 the aspect of prayer is one of the harder uh, of the disciplines for me. But he tells us here in this passage something where we can have our prayers aided, something that, that makes our prayers more powerful and more effective. And isn't that what we want? Don't, don't we want more powerful and more effective prayers in our life. And this is what he tells us, to have more powerful and effective prayers. He says this in verse 7, Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now when we we read that word self-controlled, we kind of have the connotation of 
of like controlling our bodies, right? Like stop, stop biting your nails, stop picking your lips, stop fidgeting with your hands, like control your body. But th- this, is, this is not the same thing of what this word is talking about. This is one of the benefits of, of reading multiple translations when, you, when you're studying the Bible. Other versions, instead of using the word self-controlled, use the word sane or sanity. Therefore, be sane. All right? Don't be insane for the sake of your prayers. Other verses or other, uh, other translations use the word sound judgment. Do you see what those other words have in common along with the word sober-minded? It's all in how you think. If you want to have more powerful and more effective prayers, then one of the things that we need to do is we need to think rightly. We need to think rightly about life. We need to think rightly about activities. We need to think rightly about the things that we see that come into our life. We need to think rightly about these things. Uh, And I know you might think, well, that, that just sounds strange. That thinking rightly will make my prayers more powerful and more effective. There are two verses in James that, that really help out with this. One is James chapter 4, verse 3. And in this passage in James 4, 3, James says, You ask and you do not have because you ask with the wrong motives. You ask that you might spend what you have on yourself. That person who asked and did not receive did not receive because he was asking for the wrong things or he was asking for the right things with the wrong motives. It was how he was thinking. It was how he was looking at life. But if you turn one chapter over to the James chapter 5, the very end of the book, he has a little story about Elijah. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature just like you. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain for three and a half years, and it did not rain. And then he prayed again that it would rain, and it did rain. And then James says this, The prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. If we want our prayers to have power, if we want our prayers to be effective, then we have to think rightly about this world and about our life and about our faith. Because what we find is when we begin to think rightly about all these things, what we find is our understanding lines up with God's understanding. And our desires in this life line up with God's desires in life. I teach a class uh, called Worldview. And it's basically, worldview is how you look at the world and understand the world and one of, the, one, one of the truths about worldview is in your culture, your culture and your society has a worldview. And in your culture and society, unbeknownst itself sometimes and sometimes purposely reinforces its understanding of the world and everything it does. You watch a TV show, whether you realize it or not, they are reinforcing a way of looking at the world. If you listen to music, that music is reinforcing a way to look at the world. The way the world designs programs and its institutions 
It's the way of the world saying, this is what's valuable. This is what is important. And unbeknownst to us, this is all around us. From the shows we let our kids watch, to the shows we watch, to, to how programs are organized, it's everywhere. But Paul says in Romans 12 too, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of what? Of your mind. Think rightly about things. And when we think rightly, that leads to righteousness. And righteousness leads to these powerful and effective prayers. This obviously has to be God-empowered. It's not something that we can do in our own strength. It's something that we have to be dependent on God for. But my question for you this morning is, is what are you under the influence of? The other word other than self-controlled here, he said, be sober-minded. Don't be under the influence of other things out there in the world, but rather be under the influence of the Holy Spirit, of the truths of our faith. If we want to have powerful and effective prayers, if we want to be a praying people, then we have to realize that there are influences out there in the world that want us to be under their influence. But we need to renew our minds by being in God's word, by pursuing prayer, by simply asking God for his aid, for his help. That's probably one of my most common prayers. God, help me. God, give me the desire to pray more. God, give me a longing for you. We need to be a praying people. Not only do we need to not under, be under the influence of the word, but of the spirit, but we need to be praying with one another. Do you have a place in your life and a time in your life where you are praying with other people? Or is prayer merely a, a private act for you? When we turn to Scripture, we find that prayer, yes, it's a private act, but it's also a communal act of God's people. The whole book of Psalms is a prayer book of God's people meant and designed to be prayed out loud. Do you have a place and a people to pray out loud with? That might be a small group. That might be your family. That might be a, a prayer meeting we have at 1030 or 1045 now. That, that might be next week we have... Uh, Well, this week, on Saturday, we have our half day in prayer. But do you have a place where you're praying with other people? We also find that when Christ comes again, something he ought to be finding us doing is that he needs to be finding us loving one another. Look at verse 8. He says, above all, keep loving one another. Keep loving one another earnestly, he says. Now, Whenever I read scripture and I, and I read the word keep, keep loving one another, that makes me think that there must have been op, ample opportunity not to love. Like people, was, people were just giving up on it. I'm done loving. I'm, I'm, I'm heading out. I'm, I'm going somewhere else. I'm giving up on Christ. There is ample opportunity for us to stop loving. That's why Peter here is saying, no, if you are God's people, then you are commanded and encouraged to, to continue to love one another. Don't stop doing this. It makes me think of Acts chapter 17 when we think of, of reasons to, to stop loving one another. 
hey, guys, the, the church is messy. I don't know if this is your first church or you've been in church a while, but churches are messy. It's full of broken people who need Jesus, and we're still dealing with our sin, and we make mistakes. And then there's other, these other complicating factors on top of it. Think, think, think of the church of Philippi in Acts chapter 17. Paul goes to Philippi. He begins sharing the gospel. First person that comes to faith is, is Lydia, a, a Jewish merchant of, of, of purple dye. The next person that comes to Christ is a slave girl. The next person who comes to Christ is a Roman jailer. Paul formed the church of people coming to faith. And look at the diversity here. You have differences in race. You have differences in ethnicity. You have differences in socioeconomic levels. You have different education levels. You have different religions that they left and came to. Can you imagine the inconsiderate things that they must have said to one another? Not even realizing. Just they thought everyone thought that way. They were under the influence of the world. There's ample, and there will always be ample reasons to say, I'm done. But Peter is saying, don't be done. Keep loving one another and keep loving one another earnestly. Why? He says, because love covers a multitude of sins. We need to keep loving one another because when we love one another, it covers the multitude of sins. Probably if, if you're a parent here, you've had the experience where your child has said, uh, you're mean, or something along those lines. Have you had that? I, th- I think every parent has experienced that, and you know what every parent does? They keep loving their children earnestly. And the love that they have for that child covers the sin and covers the offense because you love them. What else would you do? In fact, sometimes when it comes to family, we can be meaner to family than anyone else out in the world. But the love that we have for our family oftentimes covers the multitude of sins. It's no accident, I don't think, that the church is described as brothers and sisters in Christ. Because when we come together, we can be knuckleheads. And we can say inconsiderate things. And we can be rude. But we have to repent of those things. And we have to keep loving one another. Because love covers that sin. I, I, I don't think it's an accident either that it was Peter who wrote this. Peter who denied Jesus Christ three times on the very night that Christ was arrested cursed to be separated from Jesus, made an oath to be separated from Jesus. But when Jesus rose from the dead, tells a story in John chapter 21 of how Jesus and Peter sat down and Jesus forgave Peter and he brought Peter back, not counting the offenses of Peter against him, but loving him. Guys, we need to have that same love where oftentimes we overlook offenses. But we also need to have that same love where if there is a pattern of offenses, that we go to the person in love and we say, this hurts me. 
but we have to be honest and we have to, above all else, keep loving one another. Obviously, we need God's power to do this because it's against every fiber of our sinful flesh. We like grudges. We find, we find contentment and sometimes in our bitterness. And we try to bring our grudges and bitterness and treat it like a warm blanket. Only to find that what we are embracing is our own death and our own destruction. The only way to find life beyond offense is through forgiveness. That's why we pray as Jesus did. Father, forgive us as we have forgiven others. Or as Stephen, whenever he was being stoned, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. We find life in forgiveness. Who has hurt you? Whose words have stung and have broken you? Whose actions have, have, have ostracized you? I can tell you for a fact that God's call on your life today is to keep loving and to let that love push you forward to forgiveness. Who is that person for you? What happened that you need to do that for? We need to be a prayerful people. We need to be a loving people. We need to be a welcoming people. In verse Nine, he says, show hospitality with one another without grumbling. We need to be a people who are welcoming, a people who show hospitality to one another. Hospitality in the ancient world, especially for the Jews, was, was not just like a, 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 a custom that you did, but hospitality was this sacred duty that everyone had to perform. Where if a stranger or a sojourner or a traveler comes your way, it was your sacred duty before God to open your home up, to welcome that person in, to feed them, to clothe them, to give them rest, and, and, and to support them until they were on their way again. That was their sacred duty. And we see this in examples throughout Scripture. I'm, I'm reminded whenever I was 19, uh, whenever I was 19, it's when I first became a youth pastor. Don't, don't ask me what the church was thinking um, to hire a youth to be their youth pastor, but hey. I was already losing my hair. They had no clue how old I was, and uh, I didn't tell them. Uh, But it was just a summer job in southeast Texas in the big thicket surrounded by pine trees. The road looked like little tunnels that you drove through. Beautiful place. I lived in a probably, I don't know, 15, 20-foot travel trailer that you hitch on the back of your truck and drive off. That's That's what I lived in for three months. It was a great time. I spent no time in that little, that's where I slept, and that was about it. But there was a couple there, they were probably 65, 70 years old, named Herman and Aggie Heiselbitz. Uh, I think it's German. Um, and, and though they were not my generation, though they were not my age, they opened up their home to this 19-year-old youth pastor who was over his head and, and barely knew how to cook for himself. They opened up their home to me. They played rummy cube with me. They showed me what etouffee was and how to make roux. And it was a glorious summer for me, in part 
because of this 65-year-old couple who opened up their doors to a 19-year-old kid. That's hospitality. That's welcoming. It's hard for me to separate this idea of hospitality, and it's hard to separate it in the Bible. It's hard to separate hospitality from the idea of food and care and, and well-being. And so we are called by Scripture to do this, not only for the sojourner, not only for the stranger, but also for our brothers and sisters in Christ. It said, show hospitality to one another in the body of Christ. We ought to be breaking bread with one another. We ought to be inviting one another into our houses and letting them see our messes. We ought to be providing for the needs and the welfare of other people. This is hospitality. And we find that this is what God did for us. When we were lost in the world and our sins, it was Christ who came to us and loved us while we were yet enemies. It is Christ who in John 14, he said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you so that one day you can be where I am. And it's Christ who is preparing this banqueting table for us that when he returns, we will share in the wedding feast of the Lamb. We serve a God who is a welcoming God. And he says, I want my people to be like me. I want them to be welcoming. Are you welcoming to other people? We live in Colleen, Texas. Colleen has to be the land of sojourners. Nobody comes here to stay. No, hardly anybody is sinking down roots. And if you are, man, God bless you. If you're not, God bless you anyways. We want to love you while you are passing through. And if you are passing through, know that somebody else is newer than you are. This, this is a call for all of us to get to know one another, to break bread with one another, to show hospitality. What, one of the ways that we can be a welcoming people it's not only inviting them into our homes or going out to eat with people, but it's also we, we, have, a, we have a welcome team here at Grace Bible Church. It's in your bulletin. There's, there's a flyer in there for the welcome team of, of, of people who are possibly just passing through, of, of making them feel at home. We need to be a welcoming people. And finally, we need to be a serving people. We see this. In verse 10 and 11, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Peter here takes all the spiritual gifts in the Bible and divides them into two categories. He said that there are speaking gifts and then there are serving gifts. When you think of speaking gifts, we think of people who are gifted with the ability to teach and to communicate God's word, whether that be like Dave, who's a pastor up front, or our small group leaders who, who are in homes and classrooms across our city communicating and facilitating God's word. He said, and the other gift he says is, is the gift of service. It might be that, that, that you just have the ability to get things done. I, I love that ability. I, I, wish, I, I just wish I had the, the, the gift of getting things done and that God gave me that spiritual gift. Uh, 
but these are the two gifts that he gives us, gifts of speaking and gifts of service. And he is saying that we need to use these gifts not only in our community, but we are to use these gifts for one another in our local body of Christ. There's two dangers. One danger is that we become so inwardly focused that we become no outwardly good. The other danger, however, is that we just keep saying it's all about the community and the world, and we neglect the body of Christ. Both of those are gutters that we need to avoid. We need to avoid both of those extremes. Yes, we need to be focused out in the world, but we also have to be focused in the church, speaking to one another and serving one another in the strength that God provides. Think about this verse in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, where Paul writes, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of faith. When you join with a church and you partner with a church, one of, the, one of the, the glorious benefits, one of the gifts of God is you are surrounded by people who are saying, I'm going to do good, but I'm going to especially do good for you. Because if our home, if our church is not healthy, if our church is not functioning, what good can we be to our community? What what health can we offer to our community if we are not healthy here? So we serve and we speak out of health, and then we go out to the world. There's, there's the question of when we say serve out of our own strength, like don't serve in your own strength. It's, it's, a, it's a common term that we throw out there quite a bit. And sometimes if we really think about it, it's like, what does that mean? Don't serve in your own strength, but serve in the strength that God's providing I think if we just want to simplify that to the very bottom, very base, is that when we are speaking and we are serving one another, we need to do hard things. Do hard things. Take risks that you normally wouldn't take. There will always be a reason for you not to step out and be a small group leader. There will always be a reason for you not to step out and serve the body of Christ in some way. There will always be reasons but there's also every opportunity. And Peter, through the word of God, is saying, come, speak, come and serve. How are you serving the body of Christ today? We have to have these God-empowered attitudes, these God-empowered work, these God-empowered relationships to pray, to love, to welcome, and to serve and it is a picture of a future reality. It's a picture that Christ, as our King, has dominion over our body. And it is a picture of this reality that one day, that reality is going to spread over the whole earth. He mentions that at the very end. To him belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let us be a people who are called out, who glorify our God by loving and serving one another. Let us pray. Father, you are, you are good, and we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the challenges that your word brings. Oh, Lord, may we 
repent of our sins and step up to do that which you've called us to do. That we would not be content uh, of just life as normal and life as usual, but we would, we would see the high calling that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. And that would be the driving motivation in our life. We praise these things in Jesus' name. Amen.